Welcome to Feed Your Health, a weekly podcast with your host Morgan Shepherd, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health, focusing on movement, nutrition, and stress management. You'll get tangible takeaways, tactical knowledge, and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey. Let's get thriving. Welcome to the podcast. So today we are going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. And I'm so excited to have special guest Karen Nordine on. She's a behavior change expert with a PhD. She's a CEO and founder of the Body Brain Alliance. Welcome, Karen. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So tell me, tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, all that jazz. Yeah. Um, so like you said, my name is Karin. Technically, and I don't require people to call me this, but technically it is Dr. Karin Nordine. And that is because I have a PhD in a field called health behavior change. And what that really means is that I am an expert in all of the things related to New Year's resolutions in terms of mindset, habit formation, health behaviors, how we get ourselves to do those health behaviors, consistency, willpower, all of that kind of stuff that falls under the realm of change psychology is kind of the umbrella term there. And so I was all set to get a tenure track job and teach at a university. And then the pandemic hit and I decided I made, I needed to make a pivot. And So I started my own business teaching other people the same thing. And so I am the CEO and founder of Body Brain Alliance, and we help people. We are bringing compassion first change into the lives and brains of 1 million people. That's our mission statement. So Awesome. I love that. That's great. I've actually taken one of your little classes on, I think it was what, the six hour syllabus? Yeah. Yeah. I did that. That was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about New Year's resolutions and goals and setting them because obviously it's that time of year, but also from my perspective, I I very much like new beginnings. Like Monday is my favorite holiday or holiday, favorite day of the week because I'm like everything is full of possibility. I've set up myself from the day before. I have a plan, all of that. But I know that a lot of times when it comes to New Year's resolutions, we have a lot of like, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves to perform a certain way. And usually they say January 17th is like the failure day that everybody gives up. And I wanted to know, like, from your perspective, how do we, (laughs) how do we get over that self-judgment? How do we deal with that failure and perfectionism? Because I am a perfectionist and it's a problem and like, I'm working on it. But yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of things here. Two things that immediately come to mind that we work with a lot of clients on or that I've seen help a lot of people is number one, acknowledging that the fresh start effect is very real, right? So we tend to have a naturally higher level of motivation, drive, autonomy, um, all of these kind of happy feelings that we get on Monday or on January 1st. They're very real. And we don't necessarily want to ignore the power of a fresh start. So if you want to wait and start your New Year's resolution on January 1st instead of starting before that, that's totally fine. But what a lot of people get caught up in 
is the idea that if January 1st isn't this perfect day, or if January 2nd doesn't look identical to January 1st, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, etc., then that's where that perfectionistic mentality kind of starts, and then we give up. And so one really concrete tip that we really encourage our clients to do is actually treat December as sort of a runway. So start kind of like pilot testing, experimenting with actually enacting whatever your resolution is going to be so that you almost have an intentionally messy start. Another thing that I really encourage people to do is I say like mess up in the first three days of the year. Like absolutely you should mess up your resolution in the first three days of the year because what's important is not the completion, what's important is not the consistency. What is actually important about your resolution that's going to carry you through is the resilience, the ability to have that bad day, that day where you forget your habit, that day where you skip the gym and bounce back the next day. That's actually the skill that most people are missing. And so that's actually what most people would benefit focusing on. And then the other thing too, that is something that I really like to tell people is Do your best to ensure that your goals are compassionate and realistic. Like really ask yourself, am I setting myself up for a world where I feel good accomplishing this goal? Like, yes, there are going to be moments when it sucks. Yes, there are going to be moments when it's hard. But are you asking something realistic of yourself? Would you impose this goal, this resolution that you're setting? Would you impose that on a friend or would you say, no, that's going to be way too much? So that's another thing to consider. I wanted to know your thoughts on like the words discipline and consistency, because I know a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, I just don't have the discipline to do that, or I don't have the willpower, or like I'm not motivated. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, a lot of what my process has been has been just setting up systems and routines so that I can do the thing. I may not want to do the thing, but I somehow like find a way to get there. (laughs) Yeah. So we can start with discipline, right? And it's interesting because, first of all, discipline is not in itself a skill. Discipline is the byproduct of other mental skills. Um, And I'll give an example about that in a minute, but that's important to know. Second, discipline is a byproduct of exactly like you said, having other systems set up in your life that are gonna make you successful. So there are actual studies that show that the people who we perceive as the most disciplined are actually using self-regulation the least. Instead, they're using habits, they're adjusting their environment, they're giving themselves social support. There's all these other ways that they're creating a life where it's actually much easier for them to do the things that people perceive as being disciplined. So they're actually using less of that mental self-regulation than someone who doesn't have those things set up. I like to think about influencers, right? Because you see these people on TikTok, like I follow this mom on TikTok who is like, you know, always doing these like resets. Like she's, her house is just perfect. She has young kids, but it's perfect all the time. She's like doing crafts with them. She's redoing parts of her bedroom. Like, it's like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman has it completely together. But if you look at someone who you think has discipline, like someone you perceived as being disciplined, like let's say, you know, I see this girl and she gets up every morning and she goes for a run and she cleans her house and I'm like, oh wow, she's so disciplined. The skills that she's actually using are mental skills. So for example, she is using awareness. When she has the thought, oh, I don't want to go to the gym today, she's super aware of that thought. 
she's probably using a lot of cognitive flexibility when her plan for running is wrong or like goes south because it's absolutely pouring outside she's willing to adjust and do a workout inside or you know just go for a walk or even put on a raincoat and do it in the rain right she's also probably using a growth mindset she understands and she's focusing on building the skills of doing those things not necessarily the performance of having those check marks of I did this X many days in a row. So discipline is the byproduct of other mental skills. And if you focus on creating discipline, that's like trying to bake a cake without knowing the ingredients. Like you have to focus on gathering the ingredients first and then eventually you'll end up with the cake. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard it described that way, but obviously I haven't done much behavior change research. Yeah, that's pretty cool though, because then you can work on those those individual skills and put them together and sort of like be better at being disciplined. I feel like a lot of times people's thoughts get wrapped up in that. You know, if they if they encounter failure and they encounter an obstacle and then they mm -hmm. start judging themselves for not doing it or not succeeding. I do it a lot where if I don't make a workout or I don't, you know, I don't eat well on one day, I have all this self-judgment and then it affects me doing it again. I wonder how, how do we get out of that thought process? Like, is it just awareness or are there like other things that we have to be like cognitive of? Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting because one of the things I like to separate is whether you're worried about your internal thought experience or whether that's there's a behavior you're actually trying to change. We can use me as an example. Yesterday, I ate sugar cookies for breakfast. That was not a wise decision. It kind of put me on a weird path for eating all day long. I don't even understand what my food intake was yesterday. It was just very random, very weird. Lots of like impulsive stuff did not make me feel great, right? So Yes, I can say today my brain wants to judge my food intake for yesterday. But the question is, when does that actually start impacting your behavior? Because for some people, the judgment just lives in your head and your brain is firing these negative thoughts at you. But if you can stop the pathway between thought, feeling, action, if you can prevent the behavior then it actually doesn't matter as much if you're having the thought, right? And this is the difference between someone who is skilled at what I would call mind management and someone who hasn't developed that skill. So I might have the same, you know, natural kind of like diet culture guilt pop up in my head when I eat a bunch of food, but because I have that mind management skill, I'm able to see the thought. I'm like, oh, my brain wants to tell me I ate like crap yesterday, so... I, the week is screwed and I should just not worry about protein today, right? I'm identifying the thought and the awareness stops me from feeling the feeling so deeply. And so therefore I don't actually take the action of continuing to eat whatever it is that's, that's not helping me out. Instead, I'm able to say, hey, that's my thought. I don't want that thought. That's not the thought or feeling I want in my life. Instead, I want the action of, you know what, I'm going to do best case scenario and, you know, chug a protein shake right now so at least I get that going and so I'm able to take a different action because I am aware enough of the thought to interrupt it and that is a process called cognitive diffusion um, which is a really really important skill so sorry about the my dog really gets riled at like 
usually six o'clock, but he's early today. So I have dogs, so I it's fine. That's interesting. I've never heard that term before. Tell me a little bit more about it. Cognitive diffusion is the idea that we treat our thoughts as facts, right? So when your brain says, I'm too tired to get up, you're like, okay, I can't, I guess I can't get up, right? That's cognitive fusion. That's when we treat our thoughts as truth. But there becomes a moment when you're able to hear your thought and you, it like, it literally is like, oh, my brain wants to tell me I'm too tired to get up. And then you can defuse from that thought and you can ask yourself, do I want to believe that's true? And what else might I think that's actually going to drive the behavior I want it to drive? And so this is like a fundamental behavior change skill is the ability to, it's the number one thing. Like our um, clients get a curriculum piece every single week that's like associated with whatever they need to work on. And the number one thing that our clients usually get as one of the first couple pieces of curriculum is our cognitive diffusion exercise. And one of the things that you can, you know, anyone who's listening to this can start applying this in your own life by just listening for those thoughts, increasing your awareness of that internal monologue, and then saying, okay, adding the phrase, my brain is saying, or like my brain wants to think, my brain says, rather than, so rather than I can't go to the gym today, it's my brain says I can't go to the gym today. And then it becomes something that you can negotiate a little bit. So basically you're telling yourself that your brain is probably lying to you. (laughs) Whatever negative thoughts that it's saying. And not even lying, right? Like I don't like to think of it as lying just because I think there's a really big narrative in our society that our brains are working against us and your brain is like trying to like screw you over. And I actually really hate that narrative. I think it's problematic because your brain is always always on your side your brain is always its number one job is to protect you and keep you alive and so the sooner you realize that and the sooner you get really curious about why your brain is driving you towards the behaviors that you don't really love that is when you're going to start seeing changes that's cool in my coaching i teach my clients something i call awareness checks Mm -hmm. so they basically they're paying attention to like their thoughts their emotions and feelings and like energy levels, hunger cues, and stress, anxiety levels. Yeah. So it's kind of like that in that it's like giving you that opportunity to pay attention to what's happening and then create a space before you actually like respond or react. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say about like, we talked about consistency. I know you have some big thoughts on the word consistency Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd love to hear about them. Sure. Yeah. So I'll tell you my personal perspective. Ever since I was little, I have naturally kind of leaned on the the disorganized side. I'm a little bit forgetful sometimes. I It's not easy for me to self-regulate and control my own behavior. I can be very distracted. I can forget things. Like I have all of those sort of traits. And so growing up, I was always told over and over again, Karin, if you could just be consistent, you would be successful. You have to be consistent in order to be successful. And so it got to this point where I glamorized consistency. And I was dreaming of this life where I had 
an identical day every single day. And I was going to the gym on this like perfect identical schedule. And it was four days a week and they were the same days at the same time. And, and I thought that if I could just get there, if I could get to this level of consistency that I would like fix myself. And so I really realized that my sense of worth, my sense of self-worth was deeply tied to the societal value of being consistent. But then I got to grad school and I started doing my PhD. And what I learned from, from the evidence and the science is that really when it comes down to it, change is actually a result of being inconsistent. Change happens when we do something different than we did before. Change happens when we don't follow the patterns that we've established. And when you're focusing, we get so many clients who are hyper-focused on consistency. They want to work out consistently. They want to eat healthy consistently. What that does is you're, you're looking at your life with this macro view instead of focusing on today. And so it's very easy to fall into all or nothing tendencies. It's very easy to fall into perfectionistic thinking. And so one of the things that I harp on a lot on social media is I just really encourage people to focus on doing something frequently instead of consistently and just doing it as frequently as possible, right? And that doesn't necessarily have to be consistent. Um, and I, I've told people like, I competed at a powerlifting meet this year and I didn't work out consistently. I like have grown a half a million dollar business and I have not had consistent revenue, nor have I had consistent work ethic, nor have I posted consistently. Like none of these things. I have a freaking PhD. Did I study consistently? No. Did I work on my things consistently? No. I am a cyclical person. I have ups and downs. I have big moods. And I have learned to ride that and to leverage it and to accept it and love it about myself instead of trying to pound myself into this life where every day looks identical because that's what society tells me I need to be in order to be successful. I love that. You said that so well. <laughs> Thank you. To your point about being sort of not all over the place, but chaotic, I guess is the term that I use. For me, I talk a lot about like moving through the chaos because mm -hmm. I'm juggling so many different things. And if I let, if I sit there and think about it, I'm going to get overwhelmed by all of it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm just like, this is just how it is, you know, there isn't no, there's no such thing as like balance. It's mm -hmm. me being able to function in this way. Mm -hmm. You talk about tidy Karen and I love that because I'm starting to like pay more attention to when you post about that because I'm very messy, but like not messy in a, like dirty messy way but in a I just don't put things away because I'm busy and I have so many things on my brain and I love watching your journey th with that mm -hmm. and I wonder if like a lot of people have issues with wrapping their head around half-assing things <laughs> and being uncomfortable with doing things that they don't normally do with new year's resolutions that that's a thing because like we're picking this thing that we want to become mm -hmm. but we've also never done it before so it feels uncomfortable mm -hmm. i'm curious like what your thoughts on how we navigate feeling uncomfortable and how we push ourselves to do those different things that we haven't learned how to do yet yeah so i think with a lot of negative emotions one of the best things that we can do is to kind of reclaim those emotions and connect them to our values. One example that comes to mind is, let's say that you are going to go and you are going to donate blood, right? Yes, that's going to be uncomfortable, 
And yes, like it's going to hurt, right? But you have associated with that hurt with the greater good that you are contributing to, right? I also think about like if you look back on various moments in your life, I'm sure you'll be able to identify a moment where you were willing to feel something that was unpleasant because of the result that you were going to get from it. And so one thing I really like to do is to say to myself, uncomfortable is what I want to be feeling. Uncomfortable isn't something that I have to avoid or it's like this yucky part of change. Like uncomfortable is what I'm aiming for. And that's something that has come up, you know, in my life recently because I'm in a season where I'm just pushing myself in a lot of different ways. And I said to my own coach the other day, it was like, I have to... I realized that I had gotten to a place where I was feeling very comfortable. I wasn't making decisions that were pushing me out of my comfort zone. And so I had to revisit myself and and say like, yes, it is scary. And yes, I am going to feel my heart flutter and my chest is going to drop into the pit of my stomach and I'm going to feel like this like nauseous sensation. But at the end of the day, all of those are just sensations. Like I can deal with a fluttering stomach. I can deal with a tense jaw. I can deal with, you know, a pinch in like my sternum, right? (laughs) Like I can deal with all of those things and I am totally willing to deal with them for the amazing potential return on investments that I'm going to get from putting myself in that uncomfortable position. Yeah. I wanted to congratulate you on your meat. I forgot about that. Well, thank you. Yeah. Getting uncomfortable is is a hard thing for people. And I think a lot of what I have my clients do when they first come in is focusing on that vision and those values and like how how do we figure out where we want to go? What direction? Like who do we want to become? And I think that plays in a lot to New Year's resolutions and like what is like the best way to sit down and be like, okay, what am I going to pick as my goals? What am I going to pick as my resolutions? So I will tell you, um, the December Change Academy theme is how to plan your year. So I have a full like seven step process that's evidence-based that I'm going to talk about. And it's going to take me an hour and a half to explain it. So I obviously (laughs) can't explain it all here. But if you're listening to this and the timing is right and you're interested, it's the month of December, you can jump in and and, um, grab that workshop from us. But I think the, the general, I'll talk about like three kind of general pillars. So number one is taking a, an essentialist approach. I think a lot of people, um, they fill out these planners and they, the planners tell them like, oh, there are like eight different aspects of your life and you have to set a goal for each aspect. And what that does is it creates a really splattered approach. Like you're just, you're throwing things against the wall with absolutely no target. And if you want to be really effective, I actually encourage you to set less than three goals, like three maximum. Um, Because when essentialism is the strategic art of doing less, it is saying, I don't have to focus on eight habits. I'm only going to focus on one. And I'm going to trust that when I get better at this one habit so rapidly, that's going to have a massive ripple effect on the rest of my life. So I think the the number one tip I would give is to have an essentialist approach. The number two component that I like to kind of think about is 
your deeper connection to your values and your future self. So one thing I talk about a lot is we have our 1.0 self, that's us now, and we have our 2.0 self, that's the person we want to be. And that gap will eliminate itself, that gap will close when we start to make decisions that our 2.0 self would make. So for example, I'll do a business example because this is easy to understand. Um, we are at half a million dollars in revenue. That's Karin 1.0 CEO, right? And then if, if we want to get to a year where we're a seven-figure company, I have to make decisions, including financial decisions, as if I'm there. I have to make decisions from the place of the business I want, not the business I have. And that is the exact same way that we need to approach our lives. I need to decide whether or not I'm gonna go to the gym on a Friday night from the place of the person I want to be, and if the result I wanted was done, what decision would have gotten me there, not the version I am now. And so going back to this idea of being uncomfortable, if your decisions aren't surprising you, and if your decisions aren't surprising the people around you, you're probably not changing. And so that's something I like to think about too is, anchoring your vision for your new year's resolution not just in something that you you know you've arbitrarily made up but something that's really anchored in a different decision that your future self would make and then the last thing is making sure your resolutions come from a true place of desire rather than a place of should so there's a lot of things we're told we should do we should be a certain weight we should exercise we should you know, be healthy, we should be tidy, we should be this. And it's very easy to set resolutions from this place of trying to fix yourself. But if you pause that, if you resist that urge and you ask yourself, what do I really want? Like, who is the version of myself I want to create? What is the beautiful vision I have for this? That is going to drive so much more intrinsic motivation, which is statistically one of the predictors of goal longevity, resilience, all kinds of stuff that you really need in order to keep a resolution throughout the rest of the year. And when you when you set resolutions or goals, do you set like big ones or small ones or do you like try and break things down? I've done all sorts of things and I really tell people like there's no right answer, it just depends on you. So like this year my goal that I did was I wanted to lift a total of 600 plus pounds at powerlifting meet. But last year I had a completely different goal. Last year I wanted to take a walk with my dog 90% of the days of the year. So that was much more process focused individual day by day. I've also like in the past done like monthly habits rather than a yearly goal, or you can set quarterly goals if like a year feels too long for you. So I I don't buy into this idea that there's like a perfect structure. I think the structure is what feels exciting and authentic for you. I love that. Yep. Because I'm I'm very big on like, I do monthly habits, but I also have like 90-day goals. And then I obviously have like Mm -hmm. five-year goals and other, you know. But they each require like breaking it down into, okay, these are the actual steps that have to happen in order for this to be able to happen. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that we like have seasons of working out for doing a build phase or, you know, as I was, I'm a triathlete. So we have like the racing season and then we have the off season. I wanted to ask also, how do we decide what our values are? Because I feel like a lot of our values are based on 
childhood behaviors and things that we were grown up with. So if you were my client in this case, I would say like, how do you decide? Because I think this is an area where it's like, and a, and a lot of people do this, right? They come to me searching for answers. So like, how do I do this? How do I structure this? What is the right way to do this? And the reality is that, especially in the world of behavior change, there's not a, a lot of clear evidence. There's a few things where there's clear evidence in one direction or another. Um, but when it comes to something as personal as values, it's not like you have to find them. It's not like there's a right or wrong answer. That's like the perfectionistic mindset going in. And so what I really recommend people do is approach it as more of an experiment. Like what values are you experimenting this year with this year? What are what are you playing around with? What are you trying on? Almost like you're going to go to a clothing store. It's not like, what clothes do I buy? It's like, okay, let me look around a little bit, see what, like you don't walk into the store and panic because you're like, I don't know what clothes I'm supposed to walk out of here with. <laughs> like that's the same thing with your life and your values and your identity too. Like you don't need to, you don't need to panic about that because it is going to be a process and you're going to have a value that like you see it from across the store and you're like, that's the value that's going to change my life. And you get it back to the dressing room and you try it on for four days and you're like, oh my gosh, that was not, that did not feel like me at all. Right. And so I, it's just a big old experimentation process. I think most any change is experiment based. And I think that's where some people have trouble with because they are like so wrapped up in like, oh, I failed. But if you think of it as like, it was an experiment, there is no failure. You're just gathering data. Like right. you're collecting information to figure out, do I need to do this again? Do I need to pivot? What do I got to do here? Yeah. What do you think about the process of reflecting on your previous year in order to help you determine what your, your goals are going to be? I like to reflect on, you know, one of the things that I encourage our clients to do is reflect on actually the past couple of years, not just the past year and, and really look for the bright spots right? Where were the moments that you felt the most fulfilled? Where were the moments where you, you know, you were feeling the most like yourself? Where were the moments, what are the moments that stand out that you, that you have strong memories of? And how can you set goals that put yourself in those same types of, you know, emotional places again? So I like to use the bright spots as, as kind of a, a North star in that situation. And would you, Think about like, I know for me, sometimes I'll set like, I want this to happen kind of goal, but I don't necessarily know. I'm not the person that I want to be yet. So I don't necessarily know all the skills or the behaviors that I need to know in order to get there. Mm -hmm. The process of figuring that out. I feel like a lot of people get frustrated with how long it takes. Yeah. And I think that's really like, well, two things here. So number one is that commitment is a skill in itself and patience is a skill in itself. And so, I mean, even if you look at this year for me, like I set this long powerlifting goal, like I was going to train all year long. I started training in January. I was on it off and on until the end of the year, but that was an exercise in staying committed to what I really wanted. And even in the moments where I let go of that sense of commitment. Like there was a while where I just said, you know what, I'm just going to pause on this powerlifting goal. I'm going to let it go for a while and let it come back to me. But then I got to practice that skill of like really returning to that original goal. Um, and so I think, I think that's one part of it. And then I think 
if you're frustrated with how long something takes, it's because there's a lack of gratitude or acceptance for where you are now. And so that is why we fundamentally can't approach change as a way to fix ourselves, as a way to get ourselves to the point where like we're better people. That's why we have to view change as exploratory. And when we do that, and when you're in that kind of exploration mindset, you're going to be, it's going to be a lot easier to be patient because you don't think that your life is going to be better when you get there. It's sort of like releases some of the pressure. (laughs) You talk a lot about your 2.0 self and acting as if, and then becoming that person. But like, if you haven't done it yet and you're not sure what you're doing, how do you make that jump? Like there's, there's things that I want to be doing in my business and I'm not there yet. And like, I can sit down and I could write a list of like the behaviors that I think I need to have, but how do I trust that that's like who I need to be? So if you were my client right now, I would point out that this is the fourth time on this call where you've asked me to answer a question like that, where you've asked me like, how do I make this decision? How do I decide what my 2.0 self would do? How do I decide what my values would be? How do I decide what's going to work for me? And so that for you, I think the underlying change skill there is the toleration, is toleration a word? The, The ability to tolerate uncertainty right? Uncertainty tolerance is a very, very great change skill to be working on. And that is your ability to say, I don't know the answer to this. And I'm okay with not knowing. And I'm okay with playing around. And I'm okay with being wrong, right? Because the reality is that like, I can't tell you what your future self is going to do because I don't know. I don't know what my future self is going to do either. But we're all going to have a different determination for what we're going to try and it comes down to how willing are you to seek those types of answers from inside of you rather than from the people around you yeah (laughs) that's funny you mentioned gratitude and I'm wondering if you have a gratitude practice I have my own little thing that I do but like not everybody vibes with that and obviously people have to figure out their own feel but um, I don't have a gratitude practice. I, for me, I find it more, and this is just a sheerly personal thing, but I find it more helpful to tap into gratitude as sort of an emergency button when I really need it. So for example, if I am, when I was really nervous, like the night before the meet, that's when I was like, let me tap into the idea that I can be grateful instead of being anxious right now. Because gratitude is a really powerful emotion and it's one of the emotions that we can kind of easily access with our brains because we know all, all it's going to take is us thinking about what we're grateful for and it's going to start to generate those emotions. And so if there is a behavior I want to enact and I don't have a current feeling in my body that's going to drive me with enough force to get that behavior done, I use gratitude as a feeling that can take, you know, enact that behavior. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to behavior change, they think that they need to feel motivated in order to drive a behavior. But what I always tell people, and one thing that we talk about a ton with our clients is like, you can drive a behavior by a multitude of different emotions. I can go to the gym from a place of anger. I can go to gym from a place of stress. I can go to the gym from a place of gratitude. I can go to the gym from a place of celebration. Like there are all these different emotions 
that I can use to drive that action of putting my workout clothes on and getting out the door. And it's really about exploring what emotion feels the most accessible to you in any given moment. So that's the way I use gratitude, at least in my life. So then you're kind of saying that you can drive a motivation to do something from your feeling rather than like an external motivator of like, oh, I want to look a certain way or like. Yes. Healthy, sustainable motivation is, is created by your thoughts and your feelings. It is not healthy to rely on extrinsic motivation the majority of the time. That's where you get situations where you get burnt out or things backfire or as soon as you're done with whatever challenge it is that you're doing, you no longer have the, the accountability and all of a sudden, poof, you're not doing the behavior anymore. It's because you're over-relying on extrinsic motivation. And so really learning to motivate yourself is all about recognizing your emotions, identifying which of those emotions can drive the behaviors that you want and tapping into those emotions when you need them in order to enact those behaviors. That's a process. (laughs) It's easy for me for if I'm working towards a goal of like, I'm going to do this race. Mm -hmm. It's easier for me to do that kind of goal structure and be like, I'm motivated because I want to accomplish this thing. But a lot of things that people have goals for aren't necessarily accomplishment based. And I feel like for someone like me who is so focused on I need to accomplish things, mm-hmm. it's really hard to drive myself forward if I don't have a like race on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is why I think it's so important to work on that skill. Because yes, it's awesome if we can keep setting a target for ourselves. And if that helps you, that's awesome. But this is why we have situations where like, you know, ex-college athletes go into a total depression after they're no longer, you know, athletes because they don't have that, that game to look forward to. This is exactly why when, you know, people are in grad school, they have thing after thing after thing. There's deadline after deadline after deadline that they're trying to accomplish. And then all of a sudden they're thrown into a workforce where they have to be self-directed or entrepreneurship where they have to be self-directed. And they have no ability to do that whatsoever because they've never learned the skill of motivating themselves without a shiny penny at the end of the, the race. And so what I like to think about, and one thing I tell our clients is The earlier and the more you can work on developing that skill, the less susceptible you are to changing circumstances. Because if you're always relying on that race, if you're always relying on that deadline, if you're always relying on that idea of hitting that financial goal, then as soon as the race is canceled or as soon as the deadline goes away and you don't have it anymore, then all of a sudden you have no way to direct your behavior. So that is why you know, motivation, cultivation, and intrinsic motivation is so important. I actually did, I did a whole Change Academy workshop on how to cultivate motivation earlier this year. And we talked about that a lot. That's funny. You mentioned a race being canceled because last, last, last July, I had a race that was canceled and I had been training for months. And then I was like, oh my God, now what? (laughs) And I just, I had, I did have Mm -hmm. like a couple weeks of like, I was a little bit depressed because I was like, I don't know what to do with myself now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Did you have any final thoughts on developing New Year's resolutions and how you can take care of yourself and thinking about the future version of yourself and doing things now to help support that future version? I think my 
sort of like last thought that I would encourage people to do is, is really have fun with it. You know, just like if you were like going to learn to knit or to do pottery or pick up guitar, change can be a hobby in that way. It can be something that you don't have to turn into this big thing that is going to make or break your worth. It can be something that you play around with and explore. And if you approach it like that, you're going to have a way, way, way more fun time. And the destination is, is not going to matter quite as much. I love that. That sounds beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on here. And this has been fabulous. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'll tell people where to find me really quick. If you yes. want to kind of jump in or get more information about anything we talked about, I have a we have a future self mapping mini course that's completely free. And it helps you in the process of figuring out your values, identifying what those are, and creating habits that are based on that. And so that's the number one place I would go. I know I've talked about, you know, coaching a lot on this podcast too. So if you're interested in working with a behavior change coach, keep an eye out. I'm not sure when this podcast will air, but at some point in 2023, we will be opening, or at some point in 2023, at some point soon, we will be opening our applications, our wait list for working with us in the beginning of 2023. I'm not exactly sure what the wait time will be. I'm hoping it's faster than last year because last year it took until April for us to give everybody spots. But that's all the more reason to apply sooner rather than later because we do give you those spots on a first come first serve basis. So if you want someone on your side, holding your hand, really encouraging you and giving you evidence-based change education every single week, teaching you about things like cognitive diffusion, cognitive flexibility, growth mindset, all of the things, the skills that we've talked about in these episodes, this episode today, um, that's a great place to look. Awesome. And I will link everything that you've mentioned in the show notes. And lastly, what are the top three things that you're doing to feed your health? Ooh, number one thing for me is getting up early in the morning. Um, I, or at least getting up at the same time every morning, I personally struggle a lot with mental health and I have noticed the number one thing that regulates my mental health is getting up at the same time every day. So I've been really focusing on that. Number two is like incorporating play in my life. I think there's a lot of us who forget that we have that need for play as well. And so I really try to incorporate that. And then Number three is making things easy. So I buy pre-made protein shakes and pre-cut fruit and all of that jazz. And I just make it super easy for myself to get the nutrients I need. So Awesome. Well, thanks. This is Later Morgan popping in. I just want to say it was such a pleasure to have Karin on the podcast. And if you enjoyed what you heard, you found some value, share it with a friend. Leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. Ciao.